Are you heading to London on holiday? Or do you live in London already? I have an interesting new venture launching on October 14th that I know you'll love. I'm bringing you my Lush Life Cocktail Tours of Soho. On each tour, you'll be introduced to some of the most famous bars and bartenders in London, all while sipping their celebrated cocktails and learning about Soho's drinking history. Check out LushLifeCocktailTours.com for more information, where you can find a link to book your spot, or book directly through TripAdvisor. Don't miss this sophisticated romp through Soho. Hope to meet you there. Now let's get on with the show. Jennings Cox is one of the biggest names in cocktails. History has remembered him as the, quote, inventor of the daiquiri. But as David Wandrich, the famous drinks historian, says, quote, the daiquiri represents such an obvious marriage between local, as in Cuban, ingredients, rum, sugar, limes, and American technology, cocktail shaker ice, that it would take the chowder, headedist, duffer, whoever buttoned a trouser not to invent it. <laughs> Whether Cox did or didn't, it's a great drink and has remained one of the classics since the late 1800s. Our guest today might not have invented it, but move over Jennings Cox. Sly Augustine is in town, and he's made the daiquiri his own. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we're inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. Check any list of the best bars in London, and trailer happiness is always at the top. That would be because of the dedication efforts of its owner, Sly Augustine. Today on Lush Life, Sly recounts how he fell for trailer happiness as a customer, and since buying the place, he continued to make it a home away from home. It's tongue-in-cheek tiki vibe, give it a party atmosphere. And although it's on the lower ground floor, you would swear you were sunning yourself on a beach holiday, drinking the best cocktails on the island, which I guess the UK is. Oh, and did I mention they have amazing cocktails? So um, I, I moved, moved about a little bit, but all within very tight confines of West London. So I spent uh, part of my early life, I was born in a house on Fernhead Road which is um, in between Westbourne, Westbourne Park and Queen's Park. And I uh, went to school in Maida Vale, lived in South Kilburn, went to school in Labour Grove, um, and went to college in Amsterdam, West London. So you're a Londoner through and through? A hundred percent, like proper Londoner, and also mostly a West Londoner, you know? It's, it's, it's a terrible thing to... Um, to get caught up with um, postcodes and you know and areas because we're all we're all people right but West London people are better obviously, obviously. because now <laughs> your bar is in West London too yes right yeah so so for the foreseeable future you will remain a West Londoner absolutely uh, yes absolutely uh, got, I've got no choice now now you said you went to college in London yeah, mm-hmm. obviously yeah. um, what were you studying so um, initially, I studied performing arts. Oh. Yeah, performing arts, which was amazing, actually, really good. And I didn't realize at the time, but West London is one of the best places to study any kind of performing arts, whether that's music or, or drama. What were you doing? Um, Acting, music? Yeah, well, what? We, we, we so at this it, it, it encompassed all aspects of it, of the um, 
all disciplines. So there was, there was music, there was um, drama, there was writing, and it was really good, I think, just for a young person, kind of getting to know yourself and learning how to perform in front of an audience is very useful. Were you drawn to one of the disciplines, and specific, you know, specifically? Um, that's a good question. I, I enjoyed the collaboration of working on like a play or like you know what I mean like working with other people's ideas like like steal an idea and then kind of um, expanding on that so you like the I mean? let's put on a show kind yeah. of mentality or, or that might be somebody else's voice and then I'd be like great and then maybe add something to it or you know I wouldn't necessarily be the one charging through but I feel like I'd have a a, um, a, a good contribution you know something to add mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah like I feel like if you've got a good idea I can make it better ah. that's kind of how um, how I kind of worked within um, within drama when we doing stuff did you think that that's what you were going to kind of do when you grew up not really not really it you was, were more sensible weird. than that yeah well you know, friends that friends that I I um, studied with are, are, have gone on to become professional actors, and I have great careers currently, um, doing exceptionally well. So I don't think it was a case of this can't happen. I just felt it was a case of do I want to do this? Because mm-hmm. I'm very, as much as I am very comfortable being performing and being in front of people, I'm also quite private in in many ways. So. I was just like, do I want to be all in trying to be fa- you know, trying to be not famous, but trying to be that person that that is, you know, uh, belongs to everybody, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of how I felt about it. Because, you know, if you're an actor, you have to put yourself forward all the time. You've got to be putting right, yourself forward Right, even when you're shopping, constantly. you have to, you know, you're shopping for food, you're still Tom Hanks. Exactly, know? yeah. I mean, that, that's a problem. I mean, that's a great problem to have. But I mean, I'm talking about more on a lower level where it's like, you know, if you don't get up, if you don't get up and get out there, you don't eat. You know what I mean? You've got to be out there hitting those streets, mm-hmm. putting your name forward for everything and blah, blah, blah. And that just kind of felt a little bit, ah, you know. And I've been to, I've actually been on the other side of castings where friends ask me, oh, would you, I'm casting for this thing. Would you come, would you come and like sit in with me? And I see people come and it's, it's something really quite brave um, and also quite vulnerable about just selling yourself to complete strangers. It's something that actors and models do. So I've got friends who are models and they would go for castings and you're going to get rejected a lot. And you, you just have keep to have cracking on. Oh boy. You just keep cracking on with it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I'm just like, man, I'm too sensitive. I'm way too sensitive for that lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? So, so after you left there, what were you thinking? So after I left there, um, I kind of, tr- I tr- so I transitioned to more, so creativity is, also, is always like where I want to be at. I want to be creating. And um, I was always really into illustration and, graphic design stuff like that so I kind of changed my my you know changed changed the the topic and the focus of what I was doing and, and then 
I went on and, and did um, graphic design. You know, that's what I, um, and technical drawing, that's what I say. Graduating. So you were handy with yeah. a pen before that? You yeah, I've always it. been, I've always mm -hmm. been a, a, a into drawing. I've always, that's always been something that, um, that I've been into. Um, and I ended up just kind of randomly falling into a, a position where I was able to, to work at a company, an agency that, that built websites and did really cool stuff with um, massive companies like Walt Disney and 20th Century Fox and stuff like that. So I worked in this agency at the top, top, of, the, top of the game and it just, um, yeah, it really um, kind of opened my, my understanding of, um, of work, I think, mm. you know. Um, that was a great time. That was a great time. I've had two proper jobs. One was IKEA and one was that. One was working for that agency and I love both of them. But they put me in good stead. Mm. Both of those for different, different reasons. Were you still working there when you started to drink at, I guess, Canvas pre-Trailer yeah, Happiness? Absolutely, yeah. So, so what happened was when I um, when I started working at the agency, which was called Foresight, we used to spend a lot of time at bars, all of us, all of our, our staff meetings, you know, because the company was doing really well, and we'd have office meetings. They just hire an entire pub or whatever. And we'd just be in there and we'd just be hanging out. And I kind of, I developed a taste for that kind of social aspect. You know, like, how can I say? Before that, I think me and my friends would, would most likely go out to nightclubs or go out to, you know, a, a rave or a dance, right? So less about the drink. Less more about, about the, daytime. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's less about that kind of conversational um, consumption of alcohol, right? Um, that's something that I developed working for an agency because we had, you know, even though I was doing graphic design, the agency itself did everything. It did traditional PR, did print media, you know, it, it covered everything. So we had, we had PR girls that used to work for us. And if you know anything about PR, you know that PR girls are the best at, um, you know, going out and, and, and having drinks with, you know what I mean? Like they whole, you know, their host, they're the ultimate host. They know where to go with, best place to have a drink and everything else so I kind of developed uh, uh, a taste for for good for good nice vibes for like good drinking spots places where you can really um, kind of meet people communicate you know that was kind of what, what drew me into um, into drinking well, and the, then sorry go ahead no go ahead oh no I was going to say the groups of friends that you mm. were going out with to these raves and yeah. clubs was it hard to or did you even try to get them over to the, the, as you said, conversational right. cocktails? Or did you just, that was two worlds. One no, was the was, drinking colleagues and one was the really it, partying colleagues. It, it, was, it was super easy, barely, barely an inconvenience. Um, <laughs> no, um, so it was, it was really easy because trailer happiness was the, um, was the vehicle. Right, so this is why I gravitate towards trade happiness because it was the perfect transition from that nightclub to that conversational appreciation of cocktails, mm -hmm. and it fits. It's it's both of those things, you know. You can go into trade happiness, you can have a really good cocktail, you can have a really good chat banter with the bartenders, or you can go into trade happiness 
and you can have a party right. and you can dance and listen to really good music with you know an, an appreciated DJ so knowing it, you the little I do mm. everyone followed you <laughs> you're like all your friends come on over the here Pied Piper. Oh, yes exactly oh, um, yeah um, <laughs> from raves to drinking yeah I, de to I definitely <laughs> I definitely took I took um, hosting and that level of, of hospitality very seriously like if somebody came over from another country, friends came over from New York, whatever, I took it upon myself to make sure that they had the best possible time they could have, mm -hmm. you know? And I had a network of people who were either in bars or in clubs, Trailer Happiness being one of them, where I was guaranteed, I knew exactly what I was gonna get. And I knew that if I brought somebody there, they were gonna be like, this is amazing, you know? all of these little places. So I, I, I could have maybe like four or five spots around London. I was gonna ask, what were those spots? Right, so um, Trailer Happiness was, was one of them. Um, of the, the Atlantic Bar. Mm -hmm. The Atlantic Bar was one of them. The Atlantic Bar was one of the, um, one of the best spots to go to in central London because it was open late, but it didn't have door girls, didn't have guest lists and all that kind of shenanigans. It just had a, it just had a bouncer who was pretty cool. You know, and um, yeah, it would. Nobody knew about it. You know, then so then. Well, that's that's a lie. People knew about it, but what I would say is, it wasn't. It didn't draw in like like massive crowds of tourists or people right. from wherever that just wanted to come and get drunk. It was um, this was a little quiet, and that was very much a place where you could go and have conversation. You know, and um, and the champagne was cheap in there, relatively speaking, for uh -huh. the West End. So yeah, the Atlantic Bar was definitely spot I used to go to. I used to go to the fridge bar in Brixton. That was definitely on my on my on my list of spaces to go to. Um, there was a spot in, in North London actually in Angel. Um, there's a club in Angel. I can't remember the name of the club for the life of me. But Angel had a spot basically dotted around London and for different depending on the time of the day and the day of the week, I had a place that I could take somebody and they'd be like, yeah, this is cool. London is cool. Because London is very unforgiving. If you don't have somebody to show you around, you're not just, you're not just going to stumble into into some fabulous evening. Only you if know? you're super super lucky. If you're super lucky, but for the most and part, and we're talking, this is pre any yeah, internet, so exactly, yeah, yeah. There's no social media, uh -huh. so you would come to London and you'd have the worst time ever. You'd be like, I don't like it here, but it's like, no, London's great. It's just really di it's like, and of course the hotel bars then weren't. The hotel bars now exactly, as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, I think when I think of hotel bar, I think the first hotel bar I can think of that kind of stepped into that space of being kind of cool was probably the Sanderson. Yeah, I'm trying yeah, to think I guess when that kicked right. off. Because the Savoy was always the Savoy, but that was you had to be dressed a certain way, yeah. looking a certain no, way, whatever no, you couldn't no, get in. Yeah, no remotely cool young no. people <laughs> were going to the Savoy. It just wasn't. That's also, I remember right. Zinc in Hendon Street. Oh, my God. That, that wow. was in the 90s. Yeah. You can see I've been going wow, a lot. Wow. Yeah, 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 that too. I was out, I was out in the streets back then yeah. as well. But, um, uh -huh. but yeah, it was... Um, I think yes, that but was hotel place. bars, but yeah, yes. So, yes. Definitely Sanderson was the first yeah, to be that you could go to and, cool. and kind of hang out in a, uh -huh. in a, in a, on a cool kind of vibe. Uh -huh. But that's how, that's how I built up my network of places. And obviously, Trade Happiness was, and still is, um, minutes from my house 10 mm. minutes away so it was just a go-to place I knew consistently what what they were delivering and um, yeah it just became my little 
my little safe place. Before we get to the story of mm, you and yeah. today, I, getting into taking over Trailer Happiness mm-hmm. and, and everything, um, I just wanted to know what your relationship with rum was like before that. Was that mm-hmm. the drink that you were ordering when you were going to the Atlantic Bar, the one you can't remember in, yeah, in yeah. northern London? Yeah. And trailer, I mean, Trailer Happiness mm-hmm. was always, you know, tiki-esque. Yeah. But, you know, what... Your family is from the island. So my yeah, so my, well my dad was born in London, but his parents um, uh, were Jamaican, mm-hmm. my grandparents on that side, and then my mother was born in Saint Lucia. Came here when she was six years old. So, and it's really interesting for me. Rum was not, if we if we look at, at where rum is now and where it's heading, um, you know, there's a lot of um, focus on premium premiumization. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't a thought in my mind at that time. Mm-hmm. Rum was simply, how can I put it? it well, I guess it would be like pasta to an Italian. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's just part of your DNA. It's there. It's everywhere. It's in every house. It's in every family home. It's at every christening, wedding event. It's just a staple thing. You don't think of it as something that's going to become your life's work or anything like that. Do you um, remember the rums that were in your house specifically? Was it Jamaican, St. Lucian? Yeah. Was there a battle between the two? You know, one, no. one, one week, one the next? No, or? it was it was um, Jamaican rums definitely dominated. So, you know, rare nephews. Funny enough, Bajan rums at the time, but it, was, it would have been Coxburgh. So it was, there was a lot of Coxburgh floating around at that time as well. Um, St. Lucian rums didn't, didn't export. So unless right. somebody went home right. and came back with some, you weren't likely to see that floating around. Um, and it wasn't really until I started to go back to St. Lucia as a teenager that I kind of developed my own um, relationship with rum, you know, personally choosing what I like and what I don't like. Does that mean that, that when you went to the bars, uh, did you avoid rum cocktails, knowing when that... When I went to clubs, yeah. You when, know that, oh, well, I had that at home. It's something yeah, I always exactly. have at home. I'm not going to yeah. have that. I want to have the gin cocktail or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Mocha, so, I guess. Yes, so there'll, so there'll be two things. If you went to any bar, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the rums that they have is going to be standard rums, right? So it's going to be, it might be a Bacardi right. or Captain Morgan or... You know, it might be just like a regular generic rum, and that wasn't, it's fine, but it wasn't fancy. You're like, I can do this better at home. Kind of like I Italians. I can do it in my house. Yeah, Italians, exactly. Italian food. I can do this better yeah, at home. Exactly. Right. So, you know, for me, again, I'm from West London, so um, one of the things about West London is we can be quite wanky. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can be like, like just wanky, man, about like, so you go out, and you want to have a glass of champagne, and, you know. Is I, this the West London now or the West London then? I think or both. I don't know about now. I think everybody's wanky now. I think we've all. I think we've just changed everybody. Everybody's it's West London. Different level of wankitude. Let me, yeah, let me not even let me not even categorize it as West or, or any kind of part of London. And I'll just say that London in general right now um, has transformed the world. You know, I remember when I first went to New York, they were their clubs were on a different kind of um, vibe completely they weren't they weren't so into bottle service as they are now they're completely like I feel every club I go to anywhere on earth now pretty much feels the same but back in the day you go you know in London the club scene was champagne bottles of champagne or stuff like that so 
in my earlier, in my youth, in those days when I was out clubbing, I was all about bubbles um, and just fancy, you know what I mean? Anything that was kind of fun. And to be fair, um, I love a glass of champagne. Even, even today, I could happily sit down and, and smash a bottle of champagne. It's no problem. As much as I love rum, you know, sometimes... So you were going and ordering champagne? That was what I'd be ordering. If I was out in a club, I'd order champagne. I didn't start to order proper rum drinks. Probably, think about this. I mean, again, when I was in St. Lucia, all I'd drink was rum. Right. So if I go home, I call it home. I was born here. But if I go back to, you know, to where my, um, my parents are from, I'm drinking rum. Mm. For two reasons. One, that's what's there. But then the second one was, they did great rum drinks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You'd be on the beach at these little... Um, spots and they'd make delicious um, rum cocktails so it was just it was just perfect I didn't find that I didn't experience that in London until I went to Train of Happiness was that an aha moment you think when you say oh yeah you know they do this well here I don't know if I guess in a, yeah I guess so in a way it was I guess because you kept going back there yeah so of course, I'm answering your question for you. No, Sorry. no, 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 it's fine. It's totally fine. So the, the, the key factors of, so we look at this whole situation, right? Key factors that Trailer Happiness had was super welcoming, delicious drinks. But I'll be remiss if I didn't mention the number one pulling power of Trailer Happiness, which was it's the, it's the best date spot on the planet. <laughs> like there is no better place as for a, for a person, especially as a young guy, to take a date and trail happiness. Date I love that not... you said that because I thought you were going to say, oh, the selection of rum. No, you went right to Oh, dating. yeah. No, it was just incredible. Because yeah, it's kind of dark. It's downstairs. It's cozy. Yeah. The energy in trailer happiness is very feminine, right? It's very feminine. And so when, when um, female customers come into the bar, they feel very comfortable. And... That is the most important thing that, that you could do on is make your date feel comfortable. Do you know what I mean? So how many dates did you bring? Oh, that's a personal one. <laughs> um, I know, I'm only two. Yeah. All right. I would say... like slides on another date, trailer happiness. They would never do that because no. they're, they're professionals. Right. But, <laughs> but, I get, but they, would also, they, would also treat, they would also treat me so well. Because this is something as well, because I used to promote I used to promote clubs in the West End. I used to promote clubs in the West End and you really quickly understand the monetary value of a human being. You know, because they will attribute monetary value to a person based on their gender, their race, and their class. And depending on where you fall in those categories, that, that would have a direct relation to the level of service you got. Right? So you would you would walk into a place and you would see it and you would feel it. Um, I guess that kind of still happens now. Hundred percent, it does. But Trailer Happiness was the first place that I went to where that was completely irrelevant. I you know I never got a sense that they based service on anything other than whether or not you were you know what I mean just a, a nice person. Right. Like if you're just a decent human being, they treated you as such. And that was massively important to me because obviously if I'm bringing my friends and family to the venue, I want them to be treated as friends and family. So that was, um, 
you know, that was a massive part of it. And I'd go in there, maybe on a date, maybe not, maybe just with friends, and um, they'd treat me that way. And, you know, I used to have parties in there often, you know, have my birthday party there every New Year's Eve. Um, it was just a How really nice... How many years nice, are you talking? So this is over a period, this is between... Open oh, so so it so it so it transitioned into um, Trailer Happiness in two thousand and three. By the way, I actually met the owner of Canvas, the both the owner the owner of the building and the bar manager um, while it was open, and um, he was amazing to me as well. I went in there; it was really empty. I guess that's why it didn't didn't stick around that long. But even though I was even though it was empty, the service was still brilliant. It was still really nice, and the place was, and the place felt still felt really cool. But when it when it turned to trade happiness, they just took it another level. So mm-hmm. remember what I was saying to you about before about um, I like the idea of taking an idea and making it better, and I think that's what trade happiness did with Canvas. So they took a really cool spot and just made it so much better. And um, you know, my relationship with them started in two thousand and three. And it ran all the way to 2012, mm-hmm. you know, on and off. I, I had periods of being there a lot. Then I'd go away for a while. Then I'd come back. And it was just, like I say, it was just a, a safe space that I knew. Right, you're... You know, what I was, what I was getting. neighborhood yeah, exactly. place. That's, yeah. that's my neighborhood spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, obviously being a customer someplace and, you know, deciding to purchase it and then make it your own are two very, very big, different things, Mm. like worlds apart. Yeah. Um, What was going on in your work life that you thought, all right, I'm going to either give up that Mm -hmm. and start this? I mean, talk me through that kind of decision to do that. So um, it, it, it really just, it really was just a kind of like a combination of things lining up like it just lined itself up in a way that I couldn't ignore you know um, were you still doing the graphic design I was still doing graphic design but not for the agency so what happened was you know when I started working at the agency it was the, it was a dot the dot com bubble everybody wanted a website and they were prepared to pay whatever we told them for it um, and we like I say we were a really healthy business we expanded massively from when I joined the company to being like, you know, from it being a small townhouse in Hammersmith to being Walt Disney's ex-offices with a cinema, you know, with a full cinema in the office that we then go and watch movies for. That'd be part of our job. So it's a massive company. But then, but then ultimately, as um, the companies became more aware and had a better understanding of the internet, they just, they just started to take things in-house because they realized they didn't need an entire team of 10 people to build a website. They could just take that guy. They could just get the nerds and they could just pay him And buy a theme. A and then you know what I mean? They could pay, right. They could, a fraction of it. We weren't even quite at themes yet. Because oh. now, literally, you can do everything, right? But, um, but yeah, so it started to get that you get more freelancers. Um, it kind of broke down the system. So the work that we were getting, I remember it just, you know, it went from us turning down jobs, being like, you're not, you're not a good fit for us. You know, sorry, no, we can't. You know, you're not. Imagine that. Like people trying to give you their and money, you're like, and you're like nah, you don't, we, you don't fit with us. Um, it went from that to doing like absolute. Shit. And then like, you're like, where are those companies? Yeah, now? exactly. Um, you know, and it just wasn't as fun. And then ultimately, you know, people started to get made redundant. 
and I, I, I stuck around for a bit and then they offered me redundancy and I was like, yes, please. Um, and that was a nice bit of money and that kind of moved me fully into the hospitality side because I started to be like, oh, I'm going to do events and I'm going to do all this stuff and I'm going to do a party in St. Lucia and, you know, that took me away. I was still able to work because the nature of, of web design, all you need is the internet, internet access and a computer. You can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So that untethered me enabled me to kind of float around and travel spend a lot of time in New York and wherever I chose wherever I wanted to be because it didn't really matter and um, you know I, I had properties so I bought properties because I thought you know let me do that that's what grown ups do when they got a bit of money so I started to get into that stuff um, and then I got really I didn't like owning properties I didn't like the constant having to pay service charges and fix things and all this it was just not where I wanted to be at that point so um, I was having a really good time in New York so I decided I'm going to sell the properties I'm going to move to New York and while I was in the process of doing that Trailer Happiness presented itself to me just randomly on a night out in Trailer Happiness conversation with the bartender at the time Alex Mazuris and um, you know it just kind of it, it, it rapidly escalated from a conversation to, okay, I think I'm going to buy the bar. Um, now, you said you're on your way to New York. Mm. What were you thinking of doing when you got to New York? No idea. No, you just yeah, gone. I'm just confident in myself that I will be able to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you mm, were in New York, yeah, did you gravitate towards bars again? Hundred percent. So, do you remember any of them then? Okay, so there's one bar in particular, which I can't remember the name of, but anybody who's from New York will be able to tell oh me 100%. Right? This is now a test, because I used to oh, live in New York. Oh, wow, okay. You should know this one. But then, okay, so on... What year uh, are we talking? Matt, so this is 2003? All right, that's when I left, so okay, uh, okay. let's but try. This, but, okay, this bar was around for ages. Uh-huh. It's an old school bar. It was on, I want to say, Prince Street. Whatever street the Apple Store's on, yeah. it was on that street. You may have never even gone into it, right? right. You'd be like, why would I go in there? <laughs> I'm like racking yeah, my brain. Right. Ahead. So, it, but it was like, it was kind of like a jazz, it was like a jazz lounge. Like it was like really old school, you know what I mean? Like you go in there, there'd be some old guy at the bar and it was, oh man, I, I wish I could remember. I used to know what it was called. I forgot what it's called. I am going to find out or try and find out by the please, end of this podcast. Please, Not, because... You know, by the time that it's aired, yeah, I'm going to ask my friend who remembers everything from that Because time. let me tell you what my routine was. When I first, yeah. you know, used to go to New York, I used to go to New York and it was two, it was two dollars to the pound. It was. It's two dollars to the pound. It's when I moved here in 2003. Right. You got, oh my God, yeah, you got absolutely destroyed. Yeah. yeah. So I used to go there, I used to go shopping on Broadway. My, my, my entire New York experience was like a 90 degree angle. It was just like, I, had, I was staying on Bleecker Street. And I'd, I'd walk from Bleecker Street to Broadway. I can still feel the exact emotions of that time. It was like a surreal experience because I'd seen New York in the movies for years. I'd never right. been there. It's the first time I used to walk down Broadway, buy a bunch of you know, sneakers and cool hip hop stuff, whatever I could get my hands on. And then I'd have all these bags, and then I'd be like, okay. And I'd go to the Apple Store a lot because, um, amongst other things, I think at that point, um, had I started buying iPhones? I'm not sure. Anyway, um, I'd go to the Apple Store, be around in that, in that vicinity, mm-hmm. and then there was just this bar there, 
And I went in there one day because I was like, I need to sit down. I fancy, a, I fancy a cocktail, I fancy a drink. So I went into the bar and I just sat down there by myself, which I like to do as well. Go into bars that I've never been in, sit down and just be, you know what I mean? Just be like a, a stranger in a, in a strange, like I like that feeling. Um, and what became very apparent to me is American hospitality or New York at that point, because I hadn't been anywhere else in America. But um, it was very different to, to what I'd experienced in the in the UK in London, I think now it's a bit more. There's a bit more parity, but back then I wasn't used to that level of interaction. And apart from trailer happiness, mm-hmm. um, which is it, which is which is in itself kind of modelled on American style of bar, right? It's like a California bachelor lounge, so it's got that vibe. And tiki as well. Tiki, right? So it so it has that sensibility, but. Um, I remember like going in there and then I just started to go there again because if I find a place and I like it, I want to invest in that place. So what kind of, like, what were they saying? Hey, how you doing? Come yeah, on, it would you literally know? be that. It would just be like, or it would be like, oh, you know, the bartender would introduce me to, to another regular. So there's this guy who's like a, and again, if I'd taken his name, he'd probably like really famous, but this guy was a jazz musician and he introduced me to him and then now he's my friend and now when mm-hmm. I come and he's there, we start talking, you know, now I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember like ordering a drink, and then he and then the bartender was like, "No, this one's on this one's on me." And that was a, you know, that that gesture was like, "Wait, what?" I just had never experienced anything like it. Nobody's you giving give me, me a free. drink for yeah, free. No what's yeah, going no on here? Me, no one's giving me drinks in London. Are you mad? That's not a thing. But it was just yeah, it was just a really a, the appreciation, the appreciation level. I felt very much more appreciated in New York than anywhere else I'd ever been mm. you know um, and I still do to this day actually when I go to New York just the um, the the love is um, is is really you know it's, it's, it's strong um, so when you um, decided to go ahead and, and buy um, Trailer Happiness yeah I know it must have been just like a wave of oh my god you know there's this to fix there's this but did you ever have you know the foresight to think I'm going to put this stamp on it this is or did you think this is a perfect little gem Uh, you know I just want to see it grow and water it or did you think I want to bring this to it So or were you like well I don't even can't even think about that right now so I was really I was really caught up so if you look about so for me I don't like being in, I don't, I don't like living in a comfort zone. I like to be comfortable, but I don't like to live in that space. So anything that kind of pushes me out. So the thing about it is, is like, it's like a leap, right? And once I do that thing, I can never go backwards. So it's guaranteed forward momentum. It's a lot of the reason why I do things I do and say yes to things I probably shouldn't say yes to. But if I feel like they're going to push me into a space that I can't reverse from, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to do it, okay. you know, because it's just, a, it's just a, a, another aspect of myself that I've added. I've just added another, um, another angle, right? Mm-hmm. You made yourself a little bit more full, if that makes sense, giving yourself a different vibe. So I knew that life wouldn't be the same if I purchased trailer. Like it's a guaranteed shift, right? And that was the... F- fundamental reason why I agreed to buy it I had no idea exactly what I was going to do or what my involvement would be and actually initially 
my my um, my plan was to be very silent in the business and to just kind of sit off in the background and let my partners kind of do all of the day-to-day stuff and I just kind of dip in and dip out you know because I hadn't I didn't understand bars at all and I'd assumed that everybody made a million pounds or whatever once they bought a bar that you're guaranteed to be rich right um, it wasn't until you know the actual reality of bar ownership came to be and um, and all of the all of trailer happiness trailer happiness's warts revealed themselves um, that I was like okay yeah we're gonna have to change up this is mm-hmm. this this whole mission is gonna it's gonna need to I'm gonna need to adapt in order for this to, to, to succeed I'm gonna have to adapt and take a different position and ultimately it's led to years of absolute magnificence yeah. like just wonderful people I consistently meet amazing people I get to hang out with the best people I get to go to incredible places um, you know like all, all this shall end at some point of course but what I have experienced to date is priceless I honestly couldn't put a price on it do you ever feel that you miss the graphic design area, I, I graphic design you, every day you do uh-huh. yeah I knew you were going to say that yeah so again the beauty the beauty of, um, of, of our industry in hospitality is that there isn't a skill set that can't be put to, to, to use. There's, there's, I can't think of a single um, skill set that is not useful in hospitality. I'm sure somebody will, f- will figure one out, but to, to my mind, everything, if you can do anything, we can, we can use that. Have you loved learning now more about rum? And Absolutely, you know, the, yes. I knew you were going to say that too. Of course you were. But. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, um, that actually has been, I think, one of the most interesting journeys um, because you know when you own a business that is rum it's one thing to just be a rum enthusiast or somebody who just you know drinks rum as a hobby because you can live in a very small world of your own making but when rum is your um, your business right and you are effectively interacting with the general public you you cannot dictate you know you can't dictate the, you can try and steer things in a, in a direction that suits you, but you can't dictate the present. So the, so the market, the rum world, is what it is today, right now. And you have to work with that understanding, right? And you have to try and figure out a way where you get to enjoy what you love, but you also get to be a functioning business that can survive, mm-hmm. you know? So my journey has been really interesting because... My favorite rum five years ago is not my favorite rum today. And five years from now, I don't know where I'll be. So it's definitely been really interesting, kind of um, evolving my my own personal um, rum love. Um, so your rum education, when you you know you drank it at home, mm. just you know dipping your fingers yeah. in it, you know when you yeah, were exactly. young, and to I have this rum bar. Did you think, I have to learn everything right now? Oh, my God, I have to learn everything about ROM right at this moment? No, absolutely Or, you, you know, okay, yeah. this is going to be a lifetime journey of learning. Yeah, because, you know? because um, you know, and I say this again, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bar owner. I'm a bar owner. So, therefore, my, my priority is 
the bar first and first and foremost you know the customers the customers um experience the customer satisfaction all of these aspects my staff um you know um just mundane boring stuff this the, this is the this is the primary focus and then on a personal level mm-hmm. i love rum you know what i mean and i enjoy rum um and so the, but there but there is a distinction between me, myself as an individual mm-hmm. and myself as an owner of trader happiness the rumba do you know what I mean? Yes, They're not. They are. They are. Not, they sometimes they they overlap and they combine, but they don't always. They're not always on the same trajectory or the same or the same path. Otherwise, you know, the back bar would, would possibly look a, a little different. Mm-hmm. But that back bar represents a much broader um, expression of rum than than what Sly likes. You know what I mean? So, um, my education of rum has has come about. I would say quite organically. Um, yeah, it's come about quite organically and it's been based on having access. So I've been lucky enough to have access to some of the geniuses that make rum and some of the amazing people that promote and sell rum. Um, I think rum as a, as a, as a category in spirits I don't know if you could. I don't know if any other category can compare to to rum in terms of personalities and what the kind of experiences that you're likely to to, to um excuse me you're likely to encounter when you're when you're in the rum world, right? Um, all the distilleries happen to be in some of the most beautiful places on earth, which is which is never a bad thing. Um, but yeah, my, my rum journey, even in, even in the last, I'd say in the last two years, it's just growing exponentially. And I look forward to, you know, continuing to push, kind of push that knowledge, push my own understanding. Should we go to the bar and have one of these delicious rum cocktails? Absolutely. Thanks so much to Sly for chatting to me today. On your next trip to London, I highly recommend heading up to Notting Hill to hit trailer happiness. Ask for Sly and tell him you met him on Lush Life. He's always there. So, of course, my cocktail of the week is the daiquiri, just as they make it at trailer happiness. Mastering the art of daiquiri making is one of the fundamentals for any bartender, just as important as the martini, old-fashioned, or Manhattan. It's all about balance, and that can go so wrong. I guess the most famous daiquiri drinker was the author, Ernest Hemingway. While in Cuba, he frequented El Floridita, one of the hotspots known for its daiquiris. One day, he asked for it a little less sweet, and voila! The Hemingway daiquiri was born, with double the rum, a little grapefruit, lime, and just a touch of maraschino cherry liqueur for sweetness. Still, many more folks loved a daiquiri. Jackie Kennedy even instructed the White House staff on how to make them, since it was her husband John's favorite cocktail. This is how Trailer Happiness makes it. They add 50 mLs of Don Q Crystal Rum, 25 mLs of lime juice, and 20 mLs of sugar syrup to a shaker. Then they add the ice and shake vigorously. Then they strain it into a chilled coupette. 
the sun hits your face as you take your first sip. You'll find this recipe and more rum recipes, plus all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. I started to order a daiquiri at each bar I try, just to see how they make theirs. Really, everyone has been different. I have to admit my preferred has to be on a beach, frozen, and sometimes with passion fruit. I am no snob. One thing not to do is to drink 17 of them. Hemingway claimed he had done it in one sitting at El Floridita. <laughs> Always drink responsibly. If you live for Lush Life, would you consider supporting us by buying us a coffee? Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash lushlife and you can donate once or monthly to make sure we are still here every Tuesday. Also, you know how much I love to talk about cocktails and we can all be together talking on the flick.group slash lushlife app. It's free to join and works on Android and iOS devices. Plus, you can listen to the latest episodes right there if you want to catch up. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, the second part was mine. Up and coming on Lush Life, we sit down with a former carpenter who definitely knows how to build a cocktail. And now he's doing it with Glenn Fittick. Until next time, bottoms up.